Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's Tuesday, February 28th, and welcome to another edition of The Ben Jarofsky Show, brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. Columns from Ben Jarofsky and so many other great Chicago Reader writers. Say that 10 times fast, Reader Writers. You want to help yourself? You want to help Ben Jarofsky? It's the easiest doing one thing. Just head on over to ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. So much cool stuff there. That's J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Lefty Split Tuesday, and here's why. It's Election Day. That's not why I'm calling it Lefty Split Tuesday, but it is Election Day. I voted. I walked past the house of my distinguished guest, Sam Holloway, who's waiting on deck uh, to discuss all the issues of the day. I waved at his house as I walked by, but the house didn't wave back. Anyway, um, Lefty Split (laughs) Tuesday. Why do I call it that? Because... One of the first things I saw this morning when I opened up my beloved Bright One Home Delivered, as always, to Chicago Sun-Times, was a column by Lynn Sweet, who is uh, generally their uh, Washington correspondent, their columnist that covers the, the Capitol, and uh, Congress, and the White House, etc. But she's back in town. It's her hometown. So she's back in town for Election Day, and she was hanging out on Sunday with Chewy Garcia and Jan Schakowsky, Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky. And she was opining uh, that if the left loses— today and it sure looks like paul vallis will be triumphant at least he'll get to the runoff i don't think he'll get more than 50 percent of the vote but it's pretty obvious that uh, white chicago is coalescing around paul vallis they love him it's been pretty obvious for like the last two weeks uh but if uh the left does not prevail and if somehow or other brandon johnson or uh, chewy garcia does not make the runoff then it's their fault the left's fault <laughs> Progressive leaders, here's the headline, can blame themselves if Garcia or Johnson fail to make mayoral runoff. I, I, I Listen, I have so many issues uh, with this general concept. First of all, the election's not even over and already trash-talking the left. People in Chicago hate the left. It's just a fact. And I know this because I am of the left. And I've had... I've been privy to many a conversation with all kinds of people in the city of Chicago. And it's like, they hate the left. Let's just talk about the epitome of the left in the city of Chicago on local issues, Chicago teachers union. The Chicago teachers union is the only union I know. And maybe Sam Holloway, uh, who knows these things really well, can, uh, will take exception to what I'm about to say. His memory may be better than mine. I can't think of another union in the city of Chicago that went on strike for what? a principle greater than wages, health care, general benefits. Chicago Teachers Union went on strike in 2019 over the issue of hiring more clerks, more counselors, more therapists. 
Now I know what you're saying. Well, Ben, those people would be union members. Yeah, but they're not in the union right there and then. It was like the people in the union right there and then went on strike for somebody who's not in the union. They went on strike for something greater than themselves. They went on strike for a principle, the notion that we should fortify our schools. I think it's a sound principle with clerks, librarians, et cetera, and so forth. And for that, they were clobbered by the Sun-Times, Chicago Sun-Times, which, by the way, was bailed out by union money. Just want to point that out. Clobbered the teachers. Said, shut up and go back to the classroom and take your raise. That's what they said in their editorial. Tribune wasn't much better. So many North Side parents. I live on the North Side. I'm exposed to what they said. They'd be like, Ben, can't you get your union in, in line? Like, because I'm a lefty and because I support the Chicago Teachers Union when they went on strike. Like, they listen to me. I'm going to call Stacey Davis Gates. Uh, Stacey, can you get everybody back on in the classroom? And she's going to listen to me. But this is just like just general hostility to the left. And I believe, see if Sam agrees with me, I believe that part of this hostility is that when the left really takes a stand, they expose the inequities of our system that we mostly put up with and pretend don't exist. They, we, they expose them and it's uncomfortable. People don't like it. And first of all, and they also don't like to be upset. You know what I mean? We're like, we're going about our life. We don't want to be upset. For instance, I remember... A few years back, like it was popular to have, well, it's not popular, it happened two or three times. Uh, there were marches. Father Flager was part of one of these marches onto the highways, the Dan Ryan, the, I think there was one on Lakeshore Drive, shut down the highways because of all the murders in the black community. We should not tolerate this. We should not go on with our life with the principle. People were outraged. I got to get to work. I got to get to a ball game. I got to get to Wisconsin. I got to go to Michigan, wherever. Nobody wanted to be confronted with that issue. Nobody wanted their life upset for that moment because of that issue. So I just think this is like a standard Chicago thing. We don't want to confront the inequities that exist in our city. So we get mad at the people who do make a big deal about them. So then we get to this issue. There's two uh, progressives in the race, Garcia and Johnson. And I'm really going to get into this with Sam. This gets into the definition of progressive. And I have to smile every time I hear this because there's a tendency uh, on the part of a lot of people, not just Lynn Sweet, but a lot of people to take everybody who is just vaguely left of center or center left and put them in the same box. And you can't do that. They're not the same. The people who voted for Ralph Nader against Al Gore in 2000 in Florida and Michigan and Illinois are not the same as Jan Schakowsky liberals. They're different beings. You can't expect them to vote like Jan Schakowsky. They don't view the world like Jan Schakowsky, the liberal congresswoman from the 9th Congressional District. That's a liberal as opposed to a lefty. Liberals got ashamed of being called liberals. They call themselves progressives. Because liberal had a bad connotation because Ronald Reagan badmouthed them for so long. Now even liberals don't want to be called liberals. But, you know, sometimes people left are liberals, sometimes they're progressive. The, you know who knows? The, the funny thing is that uh, MAGA understands that they call the radical left. Like, I guess you could say Sam Holloway and Ben Jarofsky are kind of radical left. That's when MAGA calls everybody, Jan Schakowsky included, which always makes me laugh. <laughs> She is not radical left. So this notion that somehow or other 
Lefties are to blame for the inability to uh, win the mayoralty, I think is a stretch. I don't think there's enough lefties in the city of Chicago to elect a mayor. I thought that from the get-go. I put that in print. I feel in general Chicagoans are very cautious and conservative when it comes uh, to voting for mayor. At least that's been the experience since Harold Washington uh, was victorious in 1983. And one last point I'll make, the Harold Washington victory in 83 and 87. People talk about the Rainbow Coalition. Let me just break it down to you folks. That Rainbow Coalition consisted of 99% of black voters voting for Harold Washington. If it wasn't for a unity, rock-solid unity in the black community with Harold Washington, he would not have been elected mayor because he only got 20% of the white vote tops. White people think that they did something great. When they elected Harold Washington, I lived through that election in 83. 80% of the white people voted against Harold Washington. Greatest mayor city Chicago ever had, they voted against him. And they voted against him in 87. And he, they would probably still be voting against him if he was on the ticket today. So I think we have to, like, just get rid of this notion that there was some kind of rainbow coalition that resulted in Harold Washington. That was black political power flexed. And as a result, city of Chicago, the powers that be, pretty much moved all the black people out of Chicago, so it won't happen again. All right, enough of that rant. I'm going to bring on Sam Holloway, my dear friend, my neighbor, uh, and uh, one of the great political thinkers in Chicago. Welcome back, Sam. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ben. It's good to be here. <laughs> all right. I had, I, I, I had to get that off. I said, Sam, all right, every time Sam comes on the show, I say this. Uh, Sam is an employee of the city of Chicago. He's a firefighter. City of Chicago. He's First Amendment protector rights to speak his mind on the Ben Jarowski show. Do not fire him for speaking his mind, okay? I'll bring Ron DeSantis in to talk about free expression on Sam's back. Oh, Wouldn't Jesus. that be hilarious? <laughs> That's a good point. That Actually, you, you very humorously raised a point, and I'm sure we'll get to it. But, but before we do, I, I'd like to – I promised you I would do this, so I'm, I'm going to start with this. Go. Um, I, anyone who's taken even an entry-level psychology course – or even something even more basic than that has heard this, probably heard this phrase at one point. It's object permanence. You're familiar with that, right, Ben? No, explain it's it to our listeners. Okay, uh, the, the, the very, very basic explanation. It's a develop, it's a phrase that, that uh, refers to a developmental stage, basically for the early, in late, you know, middle infant, early time. I, I'm gonna say middle infant stages. I don't, I don't know the range, but it's your very, very young children reach a point where they realize that's, that an object or something, a person, whatever, does not cease to exist when they can no longer see it. Do you know what I mean? It's the, it's the source of the game peekaboo. Peekaboo is fun for babies. It's not so much fun for you and me. Okay, well, it depends on what kind of peekaboo we're talking about, but let's not get into that. Um, but the, the, time, the kind that babies play is fun for them because they're developing object permanence. Now, so everyone's familiar with that concept, if not the term, right? Gotcha. Is it the point where you understand things do not cease to exist because you can no longer see them? Now, I want to float something in front of you now. Let's call it moral object permanence. The, the idea that some, and, and I think there's a, I don't know if Malcolm X actually said this, but definitely Denzel Washington as Malcolm X said something like this. Um, Right is right and wrong is wrong, no matter who says or doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, so if something is wrong today, 
it does not stop being wrong because we want to not think about it anymore. Now, there's, there's, there's such a thing as revising what we know. But all if all the facts are in, assuming the facts don't that we have available do not change, if something is wrong today, 10 years from now, it will still be wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just, I want to put that out there. Okay. Um, and, and, and 10 years is actually quite a long time in our political system because, and, and I, I think the reason so many people, and this is true of people that call themselves, think of themselves as liberal, some, probably even many who call themselves progressives, just as it is of, as the so-called conservatives, who I'm just all pretty much just calling fascists at this point, <laughs> um, because they are. I mean, let's face it. Uh, you're, I, I will accept, because to me, some, never mind that. But anyway, that said, the majority of people, at least in a political sense, have a severe lack or severe deficit of moral object permanence. Now, we can get into the reasons for that. Quite frankly, just to make it very quick, I, I think this is a land of make-believe in a moral sense. It, it, just from the beginning, the founding of the country it was. I mean, you have people talking about, you have slaveholders. I mean, genocidal slaveholders, rapists, uh, land speculators talking about freedom. That's make-believe. You know what I mean? Free, freedom for whom? You know, so... So when you have that foundation of moral make-believe, you develop a culture, a political economy based on moral make-believe. So it, it makes it very difficult to establish um, any kind of moral foundation for anything political. And you find yourself where you, you're frequently going to find yourself in situations like we are now with so many of these stories that you were talking about earlier, where the fascists are winning because they have home field advantage. Because as we heard, we're very familiar with, Trump was, Trump was very, very prolific at this. He would do it, he only had 280 characters in a tweet, but he would contradict himself several times within a tweet. This is something the right-wingers do a lot of. And liberals often, and some progressives, will often make the mistake of calling them hypocrites. They don't care about hypocrisy. They don't care about anything but power, gaining power, holding power. If, so to tell a lie in your face and watch you get upset about it, they've just won that fight. They, they picked the fight and they've won. The, so you have to ask yourself, what is your when when you're what what is the foundation of your politics? Is it make believe, or do you have a moral framework that you can a consistent moral framework that you can define somehow that applies to your you know to your political beliefs, your political activities, so on and so forth. And and I would I don't know I think that's a it should be very fundamental, but I think that's a very high bar for a lot of people who probably don't even think about it that way. And the reason I wanted to start with that is because I think a lot of the issues that, that we, pretty much any issue that you and I are gonna talk about, is gonna go back to that. 
because uh, which you you pick one. Which one do you want to start with today, Ben? <laughs> and well, I'll, I'll tell you. With, it, uh, okay, so I'm going to bring it back to the so-called split between uh, progressives, uh, which is okay. uh, I I don't and I'm I don't mean to I'm not picking on Lynn Sweet. I think this is like no. standard interpretation yes. of this election that absolutely. Had, okay, uh, so there's a sentence in this article. Uh, in this essay by Lynn Sweet, she writes, though many of the candidates for mayor can rightfully consider themselves politically progressive, Garcia and Johnson are part of the activist progressive wing that in another time and place would be united around one candidate. Well, first of all, okay. I can't recall ever since Harold Washington died, uh, <laughs> the progressive movement united around one candidate. I guess the only time it happened was 2015 when Karen Lewis plucked Jesus Chewy Garcia out of just like anonymity, just pulled him out of the of the scrap heap, as I say, of Chicago politics, propped him up, and the anti-Rom vote went for him. But even then, Sam, there was a fundamental split. There's a fundamental split that progressives or liberals or lefties don't want to talk about in Chicago, and that's between black Chicagoans and Hispanic Chicagoans. And that split is at play pretty much in every election. It's at play right now. So I don't even uh, think that Chewy Garcia and Brandon Johnson have the same base. Go ahead. I, I'll, I'll do you one better. I think there's a split between um, um, more bougie black people, like higher income professional black people, and uh, the sort of activist, uh, left-leaning black people who, you know, I, and I know some of the latter group, and I have known some of the former group, and I don't think those who bother to vote, I don't think they're necessarily going to be voting for the same candidates. So I, I think it's less a racial thing or ethnic thing, though that does factor into it, I'm sure. I, I think it's more... Uh, and and this is where, where you, what you were mentioning earlier comes in. I think it's more as how do p people orient themselves political? I won't even go with identity because I, I think people get so confused by labels now. But I think how are people oriented po politically? Uh, and if you are a true American, a true foundational American, and your priority is individual rights and the protection of property, and those two, two things go together, then you can call yourself a liberal or progressive or whatever, but you're not gonna vote for somebody who, in the, who you perceive as threatening that. Call them a progressive, a liberal, socialist, or whatever. Um, if, which, which is why it's very interesting. It seems like every single candidate, including Brandon Johnson, at least has to throw a bone to the security vote. Uh, this, this notion that crime is out of control in some way that it hasn't been before and that we need to be tough, you know, where, you know, whereas Paul Vallis goes almost like full fascist, you know, and, and no one is gonna out Willie Wilson, Willie Wilson. The one who said that we should be hunting people like rabbits, get let the police hunt them like rabbits in the street. Um, but the, the Paul Vallis, Paul Vallis basically has the same message, but he does it in a more uh, sober, composed, dignified way. And I think that's the role he's playing in this election. The, um, the dignified 
the dignified, cultured, competent fascist. Um, whereas Willie Wilson is just basically off the chain because he, I mean, what he's going to say whatever he feels, and you know, in, in a sort of sick kind of way, you can almost admire him for that. But uh, I think that's where it, uh, Vallis's advantage is. Uh, people have been made after you know after a couple of years of pandemic uh, and incessant propaganda in the corporate media, um, not helped at all by the Lightfoot administration. Um, so there's this there's this level of insecurity out there. Part of it's imagined. Part of it's real. Uh, the, the problems that the city is facing are the same, not that much different from what they always are, but whenever there's that level of ins insecurity or whatever, it's always going to be characterized in a way that does not threaten the power structures that create the insecurity that are largely responsible for it. Do you, am I making any sense here? I'm yeah, not, you are I, making I, it. You're, you're, you, you keep taking it to the abstract. I keep coming down to the very particulars, but yes. Uh, what you're saying is uh, making sense. Uh, and uh, but when you talked about the divisions in the black community, uh, it it further made sense. There's, uh, they could those divisions are on full display in this election. To think that yes. uh, Lori Lightfoot's uh, voters are the same as Brandon Johnson's voters, uh, there's just an absurdity there. And some some of them may be neighbors, but that's about as, that's about as close as it gets. <laughs> yes, I'm neighbors too, as as are you. We're, we're both we're neighbors right now. I'm sure there's a lot of Vallas voters on our block. Oh yes, there you are. Know? Yes, there are. And so I'm neighbors with a lot, of, a lot of people uh, that, whose opinions I don't share. So and let's 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 be honest about one thing, Ben. In 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 this city, and in this political system writ large across across the country, almost anywhere. But 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 let's just focus on this city. Um getting back to the issue of how we define the left um when's the last time you've seen a socialist actually have a chance of winning a citywide office or even a ward an actual socialist i'm not talking about a democratic socialist because to me those are what what you were i think those are the people that i classify as so-called progressives um they're you know the liberals who are probably anti-fascist and want want the government to do a little more, you know. But and eventually they're going to toe the democratic line, the liberal line, when it comes down to it. Uh, then maybe they'll push us into a little bit more public policy that has some some humanity or decency. But they're not actually going to threaten the power structures that that create all these problems. But that that said, uh, I'm talking about a socialist, someone who believes that. Uh, the means of production should belong to the workers. Yeah, no. you know, that sort of thing. It, it's, see, it's, it's not going yeah. to happen. It's not going to happen here. You, and you said it yourself a moment ago. I think in your introduction, you were saying, you, you were very generous. You said people are cautiously conservative you know, when it comes to voting. I'm going to say they're reactionary. That's, that's, my, that's my take on it. Uh, and no one's going to win a public office here. Especially not the mayor. The, the, no one's going to to win, you know, become mayor of this city, unless there's some kind of nod to that kind of reactionism. You're going to have to talk tough on crime, fiscal responsibility, something. 
uh, and Brandon Johnson. And I'll, I'll say it right. I voted for him because the teachers endorsed him. That was my biggest reason. That's really the only reason I voted for him. Because the teachers union endorsed him. Because I know somebody who's on the core caucus in the union. Yeah. Uh, so, someone who I, I admire very much. Um, I'll go so far as to say love because they are a relative. Uh, and they explained mm -hmm. how that, and I won't get into it because I, I think that might have been some uh, inside baseball that we don't need to talk about here. But basically, it's, it's nothing that you, you wouldn't know already, um, and your listeners either. Uh, CORE is the stridently left-wing caucus. They are a plurality, not a majority, of the teachers' union. So the fact that, that they're able to, and a lot of teachers are married to cops and firefighters. A lot of teachers probably vote Republican. A lot of them probably are kind of reactionaries on the, in their own politics. I'm not saying most, I'm saying some, many perhaps. They're not a politically monolithic group, the teachers mm -hmm. union, the mem membership. So the fact that they're able to be, to move, that core and, and is able to, I'm not saying they're behind everything good the teachers union does. I'm just saying that the fact that the teachers membership as a whole votes so strongly for these things that you were talking about before that go outside the bounds of just their own personal compensation. That's astonishing to me in a good way. And that's why they're always going to get beat up on in the newspapers and by all, it, all the media, uh, as opposed to my union. Oh my God. <laughs> and, I, and I'm going to preface this. I'm going to preface this by, by, and I have to say this because I'm, I'm going to be retiring before the end of the year. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Uh, yes, I'm, this is my last year. I'm out. Um, so, but I have to say this: the camaraderie that I've enjoyed on the job is, is, is something. When, when you're putting your lives in each other's hands, there's politics to some extent go out the window, and you're with these people 24 hours a day. You get, you learn to get along with people. Now that said, that you know everything before, you know they say everything before, but. <laughs> uh, but no, all, all that stuff I said was actually true. I do believe it. Okay. But the politics of my job are very right wing, generally speaking. Some of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet, but do not talk politics with most of them because you'll be wondering, oh my God, where was this person raised? Uh, well, right here in most of them, right here in Chicago. But um, so yeah, the kind of things that teachers do, you'll never see from my union, never, ever. We, uh, yeah, I won't say any more of that because now I don't want to get into what we do for our own members. Generally speaking, I have no complaints. Um, but our shortcomings, as far as taking care of our own, are, are in my opinion, rooted in that lack of connection to larger lab labor issues and struggles. When you put yourself in a silo, no matter how well fortified and built your silo is, you're still isolating yourself. And the teachers don't necessarily do that. They look out for themselves, but they're actually looking out for the families, for the families of, you know, the, for their students, for the students' families, and in a great, in a sort of a sometimes somewhat abstract sense, the labor movement in general. 
Firefighters yeah. look out for firefighters. Yeah, yeah, and that's and, not a bad thing. That's what you want. But you, but I, when when you 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 improve everyone's condition, when you work to improve, when something of what you're doing improves everyone's condition, that protects your gains as well. Well, okay, so uh, I'll get to another point uh, that from the essay today by Lynn Sweet, which I'd love to get your response to, uh, because this is a very prevalent point that she made, and she's not alone. Uh, in in uh, announcing this, and if Brandon John or in believing this, uh, and if uh, Sam Brandon Johnson is uh, prevails and makes the runoff against Paul Vallis, uh, this point will be hammered home time and time again. Uh, so, are you ready, Sam? Oh, okay, there you are. Uh, you disappeared from the screen. I, I just want to make sure you could hear me. So, this is from uh, I'm quoting from the column. Johnson got a break because none of his mayoral rivals these past months made much of an issue over whether he had a conflict of interest. Consider, he's been a paid staffer for the CTU while serving on the Cook County Board. His campaign was heavily bankrolled by the CTU. How is that going to work if he were mayor negotiating a contract with CTU? End of quote. Uh, and this will be the refrain that uh, if jo uh, Brandon Johnson emerges from uh, the first round to make the runoff, you will hear you you will hear this and read this all the time, uh, and it will be used to justify liberal, in quote, liberal voters uh, who may be uncomfortable with some of uh, Paul Vallis's uh, <laughs> what. Uh, transphobic or uh, anti-gay uh, allies, anti-abortion uh, rights allies. They may be a little uncomfortable with that, but ultimately they'll say, well, you know, I don't know how Brandon Johnson could be mayor if, uh, and then uh, have to negotiate with the teachers union, so I'm going to vote for Paul Ballas. What's your thoughts about the uh, what uh, Lindsay calls the conflict of interest uh, that Brandon Johnson has? It's bullshit that they're make you know there this is um they're i don't even want to call it working the refs because the, the, I mean, that's assuming the the refs are the voters uh i don't know i'd have to come up with another analogy but they're definitely sandbagging uh giving it, it's more uh giving the voters an excuse to do exactly what you're saying uh, they don't want to vote for Brandon Johnson. They won't want Brandon Johnson. They want what Paul Vallis is offering. They may not like the some of what comes with it, but they'll take it because, again, it goes back to what is what is the basis, what is the moral foundation of your politics? Um, and to me, I draw a distinction between morality and etiquette. And I think this is a common, these two, these, these two things get conflated with a lot of liberals. Um, a lot of them and of, oftentimes don't know the difference. They don't seem to know the difference between etiquette and morality. Uh, and this is, this gets into, you know, like Marxist material analysis, which, you know, a lot of which is over my head, I'll admit, but just, just basically, um, I grew up so, as someone who was raised as a fundamentalist Christian. This, that you know, that sort of resonates with me because, you know, it's the difference between Jesus Christ and the Pharisees. And Jesus Christ took the Pharisees to task for, you know, 
claiming to adhere to the letter of the law and being sticklers for all this stuff, but how were they treating the people? And Jesus was despised by the, by the Jewish religious leaders of his day. And he was definitely a threat to the Roman uh, political establishment and everyone who went along with that. Not because he was doing, not because he was doing bad things, not because he, you know, uh, posed a strategic or military threat, but because he was doing good things. And these people were in charge of a system which was exploitative, or systems which were exploitative, oppressive, and someone coming along and preaching to, to common people, look, we don't have to live like this. We can do better. That's dangerous, and people don't want to hear that. And but it's, but I'm focusing on the religious leaders because those were the people who were responsible for the upkeep of public piety. And to me, this gets back to what you're talking about. And I know I, I go around a bit, but with by trying to sling dirt on Brandon Johnson, but you know before we even get to the runoff. <laughs> Yeah. That means they, they understand that he might make it through and they have to give people an excuse to not vote for him. Not because they actually think that any of this stuff they're saying is a problem, but because they really don't want him and they can't say why they want him. You said it yourself. Uh, the liberals might be uncomfortable with some of Paul Vallis's associations, but they'd rather have what he's offering. and. What, what troubles me, what bothers me about this is that those associations are what he's bringing. You can't separate those two. Uh, being transphobic is not an etiquette problem. When you have friends who are trans, who are basically, in some cases, fighting for their lives out here, that's not an etiquette problem. That is a life and death issue. And if your concern over your property values and the perception of Chicago as a, as a high crime city, which is largely manufactured by the cops and the media, um, if that's, you, you know, if that's more important to you than people being treated as human beings, people being treated with decency, because we have the resources to do that. I, I don't, you know, you know, whenever you, I hear someone say, oh, the city's broke, I, I call bullshit because it isn't. You just have to ask, where's the money going? Going, Who are we getting it from? And where is it going? Yeah. How's the money flowing? The resources are there, but where are they coming from and where are they going? What do we choose to do? These are policy issues, some of which go beyond the scope of City Hall and, and the City Council. But it's all the same principle. And some people want order. They want peace without justice. And, and to me, that's if you want to sum this up, Paul Vallis is the peace without justice candidate. He is the order without justice candidate. And that's what people want. That's why they buy into the crime, the propaganda crime reporting. The, that's why they, they, they really almost reflexively go after the teachers union uh, because for whatever mistakes they might be making, the teachers union generally, you know, organizes for some kind of justice, not just for their own membership, but for the families, the less advantaged families who, who are, you know, send their kids to Chicago public schools. So 
Brandon Johnson, I, again, I, I admit I don't know as much about him, but that teachers union endorsement for me, you know, uh, I, I'm not a big, pro go ahead, sorry. So I'll play devil's advocate with you. I'll pretend I'm a Sun-Times columnist. Uh, <laughs> so as a property owner, as a taxpayer, Sam Holloway, you're not upset, you're not disturbed by the prospect of Brandon Johnson, CTU member, negotiating with the CTU on a teacher's contract. You're not afraid that he'll give them an unbelievable, he'll double their salaries or give them some incredible benefit, just roll over in negotiations, not play tough like Rahm Emanuel, and your property taxes will soar to the point where you can barely afford your house. I'm just, you're not afraid of that? That's what's implied no, in the sentence. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, and I know that's, and that's the, and I'll tell you this. Uh, I think if, if, let's, all right, let's put it this way. And, and I, maybe this is a tiny bit unfair. I don't care. But I'm going to guess there's a lot of my neighbors. If you ask them, would you prefer to have your property taxes say the same or go down? If you just ask them that question, they will say yes. If you ask them, would you be willing to pay the same or maybe even a bit higher if we could make your streets safer and bring your property values up? They would all say yes. Do you know what I'm saying? So it isn't about, I, I don't buy, I don't buy the, the, the uh, automatic reflexive aversion to paying more in the property taxes because people, there's property taxes have been going up in our, in our area, Ben, and that does not stop people from paying premiums on homes, on houses and condos. They're still moving in. So it isn't just how much they're paying. It's the perception, what am I getting for that money? So that's what I would ask is what kind of city would we have? Let's say if Brandon Johnson not only gives the teachers a, a more, you know, high, a raise or whatever, which they definitely deserve. Um, but let's say Brandon Johnson spends more of the public coffers on, you know, improving the, the physical conditions of these schools and getting some resources to some of these kids that need more than say maybe my daughter would at her school. And then I would take it a step further. If you were that columnist, I'd ask you, where was your concern? Where was this fiscal concern when the police budget kept creeping up? What are we getting for that? I have all these candidates saying that the crime is out of control. Well, there appears to be a positive correlation between rise. If your number, if your, if your fears about rising crime are true, then there is a positive correlation between police budgets and crime. Yeah. They both seem to rise together. And so, so yeah, I, I, I think, uh, again, it goes for me, it, it, I can't get away from the issue of morality. What right. is what? Yeah, the, the, the point uh, that uh, Lynn Sweet is making in that quote that I just read to you was the point that a precinct captain made to me. And I told you this story. I remember telling this story uh, eight years ago. 
when this precinct yeah. captain was trying to was urging me to vote for Rom over Jesus Garcia. And this is so ironic because Jesus Garcia was in the runoff with Rom, supported by the CTU. Now he's running against the CTU uh, candidate. Uh, and this precinct captain told me, Jesus Garcia will raise your property taxes and give it to the unions. That's what this guy said to me, at which point I said, which unions are you talking about? He already had negotiated a contract with the firefighters union. And I said, Sam, I go to the precinct captain. Let's go over to my friend Sam's house, who's a firefighter. And let's you I want to hear you tell Sam. <laughs> he already gave it. Which, which unions are you talking about? We, and it, and it, it was downhill from there. We ended up cursing each other and i threatened to call the police if you didn't leave my house but uh this is the embedded message that uh yes. is and this is why i say uh chicago is you call reactionary conservative whatever the phrase is there's this notion that it's a waste of money to spend money on people other than ourselves and so that's kind of what you're getting at when absolutely prevalent that's what you're getting at when you say well, if I, people are neighbor if you said oh our neighbors our streets would be safe for all you're spending money on me so brandon johnson yeah. is saying we should spend more money on people that uh are poor and are living in high crime areas and i think the general reaction of the city of chicago is oh we've already spent enough on them and uh yeah. if we I, they kind of want them just out of the city right I never mean, mind who's gonna who's gonna do the dirty work that you well, don't want to do yeah, make it Harvey's problem or wherever they move. Indiana's, I don't know, wherever they move. <laughs> I, I, I'm just being real with you, Sam. I've been living in this no, city I since understand. 1981. I, and I, I know what you're saying. You're right. I, it's so, I just, <laughs> the, the, the concept um, that we could have quote unquote <laughs> justice, I don't even think people would agree on what justice is. And when you said it, I thought not. of the Richard Pryor line. Uh, in the about the, the criminal justice system and courthouse, it's just us, you know, that line and um, right. that, that uh, Richard Pryor joke. And I just uh, I have a feeling uh, that it, it will be another extremely reactionary showdown. Uh, no matter who yeah. emerges, go ahead. Yeah, you're right. And I, and I think. Uh, <sighs> yeah. In, in times of crisis, real or imagined, uh, and this one's a comp, we're in, we're in a state where it's a mix of both. Um, there's a phrase that, that people on the left, and, I, and I'm going to say the actual left, not, you know, um, scratch a liberal and a fascist bleeds. And I think you're going to see, you're seeing that in this, you're going to see that as these election returns come in, especially when they're uh, divided up. By when, when you get to see who's voting for whom in what places. Uh, so, yeah, I, like I said, I, I voted for Brandon Johnson, but the way this city is, is, has been moving, um, even if he were to get elected, uh, yeah, I, it's difficult to say how, what, what that was, what that would actually mean. And, and far, you know, as far as any what of what I would consider economic justice um, being being done in the city, I because there's so many there'd be so many forces lined up against them. You know, it, it, what Harold Washington went through uh, 
it may not be as publicly intense as that, but that's like that would only be because um, the, so much of the damage has already been done that it doesn't require as much effort to sideline, you know, any kind of left-leaning activity. So, yeah. I uh, I would think uh, if Brandon Johnson were elected, we're way ahead of ourselves. He hasn't even made it to the runoff. Uh, right. So I'll 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 just say I agree with you. Uh, there will be a uh, coalition in the city council that will arise to oppose him on most initiatives coming from the right, uh, and they would be strongly um, supported uh, by the mainstream media and uh, corporate Chicago. There's no doubt in my mind it would be, uh, in right. many ways, a replay of council wars. Uh, and, uh, and we haven't even got to that uh, point yet because, like, right. one more time. So, it, 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 yeah. So here's the last question. Before yes. we move to Chicago, I want to ask you this question and just very curious for a response. I did not prep you with this question, so it's coming out of uh, left field. Mm -hmm. And that is this. Let's say the runoff is Paul Vallis and Lori Lightfoot. Who do you vote for? Uh, I probably would just stay and not bother. <laughs> you know, and because I knew that. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I, there's absolutely nothing there for me. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Um, yeah, that's that's all. That's all I need to say about that. Yeah, <laughs> there's right, no let's, point. There, uh, let's move. I just uh, I just had to ask that question. <laughs> uh, let's move on and talk around DeSantis in Florida. Uh, this huh. is uh, <laughs> I, I just I got to get your thoughts on this one. Uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, uh, got mad at Walt Disney because the corporation Walt Disney, because he said they were woke, uh, whatever that means. Uh, and uh, I, he punished them, quote unquote, uh, by using his authority over the state legislature to pass a law uh, that effectively took control of the district, the taxing district that uh, Disney uh, inhabits. Uh, and so, Sam, I had a, I just, I was laughing so much when I read this story in many ways, just shaking my head. So the the the, the deal they set up in Florida is that uh, Walt Disney is essentially its own separate taxing district, uh, and mm -hmm. they pay the taxes for themselves. So it's like a TIF mm -hmm. district. It's like a TIF deal. It's it's like right. instead of giving the taxes to the general coffers of a town larger themselves, they spend it on themselves. They pay pay for their policing. They pay for their fire. Uh, they pave their roads. Uh, it's basically they spend their tax money uh, fortifying their operation and their business. This was fine mm -hmm. for the state of Florida. I'm sure there was all kinds of justifications that Disney brought people in from out of state. So it was like a public investment in the state of Florida. I'm sure that was a justification. Uh, and with, But when Disney took a stand against transphobic uh, rhetoric, I think it was, that uh, that got them to well, take more it. Like they were, more like they were dragged to their feet. By, more oh. more like they were okay you're right okay yeah. when they were forced to to issue a statement okay which is essentially what you're saying desantis got outraged and said i'm going to take away uh your privileges and i thought i thought oh he's going to take away that tax special tax break and then put the onus of paying for all the roads, the firefighters, the police on the taxpayers of the state of Florida, because that's who should be paying it. And if they don't want to, if they don't want to fund Disney anymore, then 
That's it. Disney goes out of business. But he didn't do that, Sam. <laughs> he kept that special taxing agency entity in place. He just put his cronies on there. You know what I mean? Right. It was totally he took Disney's puppets off and put his puppets in. And they still get to raise taxes to to spend on themselves. Here, here, um, here, go ahead. This, this reminds me of something that happened. Uh, okay, you know that Disney not only has their own police and fire and whatever, they have their own version of, they have their own investigative unit. They have like their own FBI. Disney does. Uh, so with all this, and they have a tremendous amount of political power they do. Um, there was a, a little dust up. I don't know how far back this goes. Maybe not that long, a year or two, where you're familiar with the comic book character, The Punisher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, The Punisher is a vigilante who hates cops. Yeah. Well, there was a point where, that's a, that's a very shorthanded description, but there was at some point, because he's a, a bloodthirsty vigilante, fascist and police, did I repeat myself there, um, took the Punisher symbol as their own. Now, this is a Disney property and Disney intellectual property. Now, th this is the same corporation that refused to let a father bury his eight-year-old, deceased eight-year-old son in some cartoon character coffin because it was a copyright violation or something. But they never went after anybody for making, marketing, merchandising and marketing this Punisher symbol because those were fascists. So they basically let the fascists have their way because I, I'm guessing because it was politically expedient to do so. I don't know. Uh, but let's, so, so I, I guess what I'm getting at is if I were to bet, if this was an actual fight, an existential battle, political battle, I would definitely put my money on Disney against Ron DeSantis. Which makes which makes me think that what you're what you were pointing out is probably absolutely true. Ron DeSantis is posturing. It's ninety five percent posturing, and Disney's not fighting him because materially Disney's losing nothing. The problem with that is, and this gets back to morality, and I don't expect a corporation to have any morality. Um, but that's it. If you give DeSantis a public victory like that, even if it's materially meaningless, that is a bad thing. You do not let fascists win. You do not give fascists air. You don't give them moral victories. You don't give them symbolic victories. You crush them. And I, so, so I'm not just giving side eye to Disney here. I'm also going to go with the White House because, fr quite frankly, this I don't have a dog in the Disney fight necessarily. Um, it's just that this was being done for the wrong reasons. This was not for the public good. DeSantis is, as a matter of fact, it was quite the opposite. And uh, so Disney doesn't really lose anything materially, if, if what you're saying is correct, and I, it sounds reasonable to me, mm -hmm. but DeSantis scores a victory. Um, and, it, and it doesn't matter if all the liberals say, oh, it's hypocritical, it doesn't change anything, it, it's a win. 
It's a public win. He's not paying a political price. In the end, that's what it's all about. Yeah. He's not paying a political price for demonizing and endangering trans people and queer people. That's what it all boils down yeah. to. So uh, yeah. Disney can be dragged to their feet to make a perfunctory statement, but they're not actually paying a price for it. Uh, they may actually see their ticket sales go through the roof. People might turn out, oh, we're going to support Disney now. Yeah. So they might make even more money. Yeah. So, so Disney's not harmed by this. Who is harmed by this are the people who he was targeting in the first place. Yeah. They're not protected by anything Disney's going to do. Absolutely. They're still going to be harmed. And there's Absolutely. no one stopping him from doing that. That's correct. And by the way, just so you understand uh, the point, I'm going to read those last two paragraphs of this AP yeah. article by uh, uh, Anthony uh, Isaac Goyer. Uh, I've been following this story for a while, and this sums it up. The new law changes the district's name from the Reedy Creek Improvement District to the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District. That's just a bunch of bureaucratic jargon, folks, uh, and subjects it to various labors of state oversight. Board members were previously named through entities controlled by Disney. It leaves the district and its financial abilities and debt obligations intact, addressing a chief concern of surrounding governments. In other words, surrounding governments would have to pick up the tab if this district was dissolved. It also prevents people who have worked with or contracted with a theme park in the past three years from serving on the district's new governing board, <laughs> which means DeSantis appoints the puppets, not Disney, but they're still puppets. So your points reached some kind of a chord uh, where essentially Disney will be able to tax itself to pay for its operations. Uh, and DeSantis will look as though he has humiliated Disney for daring daring to issue some sort of statement that contradicted even on the littlest point <laughs> his uh, outlook and you're absolutely correct it's viewed as a win for DeSantis those two paragraphs I read are at the bottom of the story yeah. do you know how many few people are going to read this story to start with <laughs> cut it in half to get to the people who got to the meat of the matter at the bottom of the story so it is viewed as a DeSantis victory. He came to Illinois and bragged about it, pounded his chest mm -hmm. in Elmhurst at the Fraternal Order of Police. He's going around the country. I know how to deal with woke. So if you don't like woke, whatever it means, I'm sure most people don't have it. Well, really. I, I'll, no, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what it means. Go. When, when someone like DeSantis says woke in, well, okay, they might still say it today, but in 1960, he could have said it in public. That's like calling someone a nigger lover. That's exactly what it is. Um, that's not even an exaggeration. As a matter of fact, um, I'm downplaying it because it's not just anything, any, any type of affinity or, or just, uh, inclination that you show towards bringing some justice to marginalize and impress people makes you woke. It's an insult. Uh, it doesn't have to be internally sound, have internally sound logic. That's not how fascists operate. It just has to, it's the big, it's the bat signal. People hear it, they know what he means. It's a dog, it's not even a dog whistle, it's a bat signal now. Uh, and 
he you're right. He just scored a big victory, uh, in in the, the only way that it mattered in public opinion, or on you know in the public arena, uh, and it's it's sad because there's no there's no official opposition to this 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 wave of uh, it's not just Florida, but you know, state house after state house. Yeah, no, it is. Um... Uh, it is a uh, a victory uh, for DeSantis in this larger chess game. I don't know if it'll mean anything outside of the MAGA party, the Republican Party. I don't know if taking a stand, quote unquote, against woke will uh, elect him uh, president. It, uh, but where the Republicans are right now, it it helps him get that nomination. There's no doubt in my mind. Right, but they they own most of the state houses in the country now. They, they run most of the state houses in the country, I believe. So either the legislature or the governor's office or both. Um, they have, according, you know, the population of people who vote Republican is lower than that typically votes Democrat, but Democratic. But the way our country is gerrymandered, you know, and it's constitutionally relevant, I, you could say, depending, you know, considering who wrote it and why they did. But yeah. They have outsized political power to begin with, and having them run so many state houses now, and even some of the ones that are supposedly run by Democrats, you know, right wing Democrats, you know, where, where are you going to turn? Um, but yeah, so yeah, there's definitely a war against trans people going on in state houses around the country now. Uh, yeah. They're they're pretty much fighting for their lives right now, uh, and we can't even get the White House to get a, a railroad under control. Oh my goodness. Uh, we run out of time. We haven't even got to yeah. East Palestine, uh, which well, I, I will tell you, I'll, I'll give you a quick, I'll give you a quick summary of my views on that. The unions, the railroad unions were striking. They were ready to strike and it wasn't just overpay. They were being abused and the abuses of the railroads were, and they, they were warning people. The workers were warning people. This is endangering us. It's endangering the public. This mm -hmm. is grave danger we're putting in from these abuses. And what did the, the White House and Congress do? They forced the union back to work, solving none of their none of their problems. And what had happened? Um, you know, like on cue. So um, and this is a Democratic president. If if you know, I, I don't know if it was President Sam. Uh, I don't know. I'd have, again, I would, I would for the court, the courts would have to chase me down because I, I would be that, that railroad would be in receivership already. Uh, the, the, the people who are running it now would, I don't know, I, some of them might be running for their lives, not necessarily from anything I would be doing necessarily, but, uh, there would be different people in charge right now. It would not be a privately owned entity for very long. So, but you know, there's so much power in the White House now. And for them to not use it for something that like that, which yeah. directly affects not just the economy, but people's safety, they basically sacrificed a, a town for corporate profits and, and for corporate feelings. So that's what I got to say about that. Wow. Just folks, let's just pause before we leave to consider this. President Sam.
when you first said it, President, I didn't know what you were talking about. I'm like, President Sam, I'm, I'm, I was thinking literally, you know, like, who is the president? No. And then I saw, wait, President Sam Holloway, firefighter. <laughs> you remember you remember Richard Pryor's joke about the first black president? Oh, my goodness. I just watched that. That would be me. <laughs> that, that would be me. Ladies and I gentlemen. Be, I, I could not come out in public because they would all be going after me. Uh, can we just give a shout out? <laughs> I, I I think Paul Mooney wrote the script, uh, so shout out to Paul Mooney. We're a brilliant yes. uh, comic writer, uh, but I just watched it again. Every now and then I watch it. It is so funny, Rich. The first yeah. black president, Richard Pryor. <laughs> oh, oh Lord, yeah. Lord, Lord, that's why. I, and I'll tell you something. I know this sounds kind of mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe. But one of the reasons I do not like Obama is because he proved Richard Pryor wrong. Whoa, what do you mean by that? Because if he had acted with just like a fraction of the promise that he was carrying into that office, they would have been going after him. But as it turns out, all you had was these teabaggers on the left who were questioning where he was born because they couldn't come up with anything else. <laughs> yeah. And and then he then you had him, who is self-described to the right of Reagan on many yeah. of his policies. Oh, yeah. And I admired Ronald. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I um, I hear you. And I need to remind everybody, uh, we haven't talked about this on this show because it's, uh, it's so far from the deed. Uh, but I'm pretty yeah. sure uh, Sam Holloway, resident of the city of Chicago, born and raised in the city of Chicago, proud graduate of Kenwood High School, Chicago firefighter, uh, and uh, had never voted for Barack Obama. I'm pretty nope. certain about that. <laughs> nope. Uh, nope. See, folks, you don't understand lefties, man. You just, you don't, you don't know them. You, you don't know any in your life. You never talked to any, you know, it's Sam. I just, it's just reality. And it just hits me every day when I, <laughs> I deal with centrists in the city of Chicago and they just, they don't, they, it's just, you know what I'm saying? They're like, don't get it. They and, don't want to get it. They don't want to get it. It's right there in front of them. They don't want to get it. Yeah. And, and this is, again, this is the land of make-believe. You yeah. don't have to get it to get by. You can I think keep I on know pretending. The land of make-believe. All right, Sam, we've run out of time. Bring right, you on. Thanks, we'll bring you back in the middle of the runoff to see. Oh, that ought to be fun. That ought to be so. If it's well, Lori Light, unless if it's Lori Lightfoot and, and Vilas, don't bother. Well, no, bring you on. Maybe maybe Lori changed your mind. <laughs> maybe Vilas changed. Uh, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my lord. Uh, all right. Very all right. good. I thank you very ready. much. Uh, Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Chris. Take care, gentlemen. All right, very good. That's Sam Holloway. And I also want to thank Chris. Doing an outstanding job as always. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. And remember, you can catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, Benny J bonus interviews, and so much more at chicagoreader.com. And find Ben Jarofsky shows all over the internet on all your favorite streaming platforms.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.